listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we have a really cool guest that I went and personally tracked down. As so often, the guests on the show are not just, I need a guest to, to interview so I could put out a show at this week, but it's somebody that I personally have a lot of questions for and find interesting and wanted to interview, and I just use this platform as an excuse to get some attention from them. So this guest was actually referred to me, a friend of mine, uh, Joe Perlman, introduced us. I was having some concerns like a lot of my long-term rentals were not yielding the cash flow that I wanted and I decided I wanted to get interested in looking at some short-term rentals. So I called Joe because I knew that's what he was doing. He goes, oh man, he goes, you need to go listen to Bigger Pockets episode 364 and call me back. So I went and I listened to her. I was like, oh dude, she sounds awesome. I need to meet her. He goes, all right, cool. I'll hook you up. And and he texted both of us and and then I was on the phone with her the next day and uh, she's given a tremendous amount of advice and she is currently trying to help me find a few short-term rentals. So super excited to have her on the show. Avery Carl, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Avery Carl with the short-term shop. The short-term shop, yes. So Avery, tell us your story. Tell us how you got where you are, what you did before and why you started investing in real estate. Sure. So it's, really kind of boring, not that much different than every single other real estate investor out there. I was working a corporate job, you know, figured out pretty quickly after I finished my master's that I am not a good employee. I suck (laughs) at being an employee. And we had just moved to Nashville at the time. This is about 2013, 2014. And I didn't have my real estate license or anything yet. And uh, we were looking for a place to live. We moved from New York City. And we were going to buy a house in Are Nashville. You from New York City? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm from Minnesota. to say, you got a Southern twang. You know, you don't strike me as a New York girl. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Mississippi, but I lived in New York for several years. So uh, we moved to Nashville and we're looking for a house to buy to live in. And our agent at the time kept trying to get us to buy in this super hip, hot, like really fast appreciating neighborhood of Nashville. Uh, hipster area. And we were just like, eh, we lived in Brooklyn. We don't really want neighbors. We want to buy something out in the country. So we bought out in the country, but we thought about it and we said, oh, well, you know, we've got a little money left. Maybe we should buy one of those houses that are very quickly appreciating. And maybe one day when we have kids, then we can use that, sell that house and pay for their college. That was like well before I had any education in real estate investing. I would never, ever invest in something based on appreciation now. What what was your corporate job? Oh, so uh, I was in the music industry. I was a marketing manager. Oh, wow. So many people must have told you you look like Nikki Six then. (laughs) Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks. My husband looks like Nikki Six. No, you do not look like Nikki (laughs) Six. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my husband really does. He looks more like Tommy Lee than Nikki Six. Is he in the music industry as well? So we, I mean, we both played and toured in bands for a long time, but we're both retired from that. Uh, he is actually, his corporate job is he's a classic rock DJ on Sirius XM. Oh, cool. cool yeah. Cool. Y'all are the, the hippest real estate investors I've interviewed yet then. <laughs> I don't know how hip we are. We go to bed at like seven. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so that's how we ended up in Nashville was because we live in New York in the music industry and we thought, oh, we'd like to have more space. We found a little property that we wanted to buy as an investment. We didn't even know it was called real estate investing at the time. We had no idea what we were doing. 
uh, ended up being a really, really good one. Still a really, really good one. Uh, cash flows a thousand a month. So uh, we thought, oh wow, this is cool. When we got that first check, we were like, we need to actually make something out of this. So then we started listening to the podcast and reading the books and actually educating ourselves after we made a gigantic purchase. And so we had enough money for one more down payment on a single family. And we thought, okay, well, how can we, what can we buy to make the most money possible so that we can buy the next one faster? And so we, we landed on short-term rentals. Nashville was a good place at the time, but the writing was on the wall at the time that the city of Nashville doesn't want Airbnbs there. It's just, it's a nightmare. The regulations are constantly changing. I've had a lot of clients in the Nashville market who have bought properties with me who, you know, very shortly after closing, were no longer allowed to Airbnb their properties just because things are changing so much. And I didn't want that. I got my license somewhere along the line in there too and became an agent. And so we uh, decided, okay, well, we'll, we'll buy a cabin in the Smoky Mountains because that's about three hours east of Nashville. And uh, it's somewhere where people have always rented cabins overnight rather than stay in hotels. Uh, it's dependent on tourism in that market. So really safe investment in terms of the regulations, you know, steady tourism, occupancy, all that. So uh, we went and bought a property there. Again, I still didn't have my license quite yet at that point. And we had no interest in putting this, this with a property manager. We knew we could do it ourselves, even though we didn't live nearby. Uh, property managers in towns like that charge like between 25 and 40%. And it just didn't make sense. So we put together a system so that we could self-manage remotely, which really doesn't involve that much. But when we asked questions of any of the agents that we ran across out there, none of them could really answer any questions about return on investment or how much things would make or how you could manage this remotely or, you know, they just didn't have any advice on any of that. Mm -hmm. So we bought that property. It went really well, scaled that into five cabins out there within about a year and a half period, used all of that income to then turn around and grow our long-term portfolio more, got that up to about 30 units. And now we're in the market for an apartment building, which you and I have texted about. So if anybody's listening and has a deal, hit me up. So we just basically, long story short, our investment strategy is to take all the super heavy cash flow from the short-term rentals, roll it into either more traditional long-term rentals or apartment buildings or more short-terms. I mean, we've got seven right now, probably about to have another one under contract. So we just like to keep the portfolio diverse. And then I also run the short-term shop, which is a real estate sales. So real estate agents in three markets currently. So we're in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, the Panhandle of Florida, so Destin, Panama City area, and Gulf Shores, Alabama, about to be in Blue Ridge, Georgia as well. And what we do is we help investors acquire short-term rental properties and we teach them how to manage them remotely so that they don't have to, they don't have to hire a property manager and they could take all of their money and roll that into their next investment. Awesome. So that, that was a lot. One thing I want to pull out of that was a piece of advice that you gave me the first time we talked that I just thought was absolute gold. And I've repeated it to probably 15 people since you told me this. But you said the reason you didn't buy in Nashville was right now we're, we're at a point in the world or in society where you know short-term rentals are blowing up and Airbnb is blowing up and they're popping up in these markets like Austin and Nashville and places that historically have never had any type of short-term rental 
history and you know the municipalities don't really know how to handle it and we got people lobbying against it and stuff like that so you decided you wanted to go buy in markets that have a long history of short-term rentals like the Panhandle or the Smoky Mountains where the municipalities have accepted it and tax it. And so they, they actually welcome it. And so you look for places where that have been doing short-term rentals since the seventies where it's nothing new. The, the laws have been the same for, you know, 50 years and they're, they're not going to change overnight versus one of these new markets where, I mean, it, it could blow up at any minute. And typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but just from an outsider looking in, I would think you probably typically spend a little more on a short-term rental than you would on a classic long-term rental because you can get such higher cash flow renting it like that. But if there was some law change that banned short-term rentals in the area, it probably wouldn't cash flow in a long Like I have friends that have bought short-term rental properties in Nashville, they're, they're going to choke when they hear this interview. But mm-hmm. I mean, they paid a half million dollars for, you know, a three bedroom condo. And it's like how that could never cash flow. I mean, even if you, even if somebody was renting it for three grand a month, it wouldn't cash flow, you know? So I love that piece of advice to go after areas where there's a history there and everybody involved is benefiting from it and the municipalities are taxing it. So they're not fighting it. They're welcoming it and they have a long-term friendly relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point about being able to convert it to a long-term, that's a little bit of a con of these areas is that there are more short-term rentals and there really are people who live there just because they're so tourism dependent. So if the absolute worst case scenario happened, the ability to be able to convert it to a long-term is pretty slim. So, you know, that's definitely something that people need to be aware of. But in these areas like this, where they have been short-term rental dependent since the 70s, they've been through every worst case scenario. We've been through two in the past 12 years. I mean, coronavirus, for example, a bunch, I mean, all my clients freaked out. I mean, we all freaked out, but I got a lot of texts like, oh my God, should I try and convert my property to a long-term? And, you know, it's important to have cash reserves and we could talk about that for hours and hours. But what we saw was, you know, shutdowns happen for a month in Tennessee and about a month in Florida, maybe a little longer. So all those bookings for those two months were cleared. So that sucked. But we did get rebooked from people who live like in drivable big cities who wanted to social distance and work from our places because they live like in a small condo or something and, and saw, oh, well, I'm going to be working from home for a long time. Can I come work in your place? So we, we weathered the storm that way. And then when everything opened back up, we are getting higher prices per night than we have ever seen, even on peak times in all of the markets. Absolute worst case scenario, right? A pandemic is the worst case scenario <laughs> you could have for travel. And it was really just kind of like a blip on the radar. And I think that's because you have to be strategic also about where you're going to invest. And all of these places are regional drivable markets. So when the pandemic shutdowns ended, everybody was dying to get out of their houses, but they didn't want to get on a flight. They didn't want to go to a big city and be around people and breathed on. But what they did do is take five to eight hour drive vacations to places like this. So we stayed booked like packed and really, really high prices all summer and into the fall. And we're still at higher prices than, than we have been in the past. So a worst case scenario actually turned into 
a boom for these yeah. markets. They're really recession resistant if you buy in the right market. When I initially interviewed Joe back, yeah, I think it was like March. It was right <laughs> when they shut everything down. It was so bad. I decided not even to release our first interview. And like I interviewed him again <laughs> six months later. He had just quit his corporate job because they were doing so good. And then they shut everything down. I think they banned in Carolina Beach. They banned it for like 60 days or something. And when I thought about looking into it and called him like a couple months ago or whenever you and I first met, I called him. He said, oh, business has never been so good. And like you mm -hmm. said, it just caused like when things opened up, it caused a surge in business. Another little anecdotal story about kind of Airbnbs and short-term rentals, and maybe you can expand on this if you, if you, or I'm sure you are familiar with it. So a friend of mine that bought the short-term rentals in Nashville, and they're beautiful places. I mean, if I ever go to Nashville, that's where I'm going to stay. But he said that when you, when you first open up, Airbnb gives you like, they like give you a surge for a couple of weeks. So they're like, they automatically kind of bump you to the top of the list to give you exposure, like almost artificial exposure to help jumpstart your game. And he said that his, his surge period was like immediately following the shutdown. So he said, he said, I could never get my surge back. My initial boost was stolen by the coronavirus. And <laughs> when things opened back up, he just kind of like, moseyed in late in the game, you know? <laughs> so Yeah, that's true. And that's why I tell people, a lot of people will start their Airbnb profile like months before they're actually ready to take bookings, like they're doing any kind of a rehab or anything. And I always tell them not to do that because you waste that initial boost that they give you if you post it, but like your next 90 days are blocked off. There's no point in doing that. So you definitely want to make sure you capitalize on that little boost that they give you at the beginning. So do you have any like horror stories about how a short terminal went south or have they all been pretty much successful at this point? Uh, I haven't had anybody damage or trash my place or anything like that. But I mean, I've got some horror stories just about people being wait, idiots in general. Wait till you open up in Alabama. <laughs> I'm, I'm, teasing, I'm from Louisiana. So we bash Alabama every chance we get. Oh yeah. Yeah. My mom's from Louisiana too. So. <laughs> So every the one that you've bought has has turned out to be as profitable or more profitable than you expected going into it. Yeah, yeah, I've never had a problem with profit, but you know my horror stories are more like people being like for example, I, I told this one on the bigger pockets one, but like I had a guy who his stay was fine, the cleanliness was fine, but he left us a one-star review because in his mind it was not safe from bears, like if a bear decided to walk up to <laughs> this house instead of all the other houses and punch through the glass and break in, which black bears do not eat people, by the way, that he would die, that everyone in the house would die and not be able to get out. So, you know, that's ridiculous. And it's still up on our profile. So, <laughs> and it, you know, it does affect our review averages. So, you know, yeah. most of my horror stories are around stuff like that and not actual property damage. So that's what, terrifies me is that you're so at the mercy of the general public. So I used years ago, I worked in a retail store selling cell phones and we would have a willingness to recommend survey and, and everybody who walked in that did some transaction with us would get a survey. And we were like, we were ranked and judged. I don't remember if we were paid or not, but it was like 
it was important to us that we got a good survey, but they would send a survey to any, they let anybody in the door. And one time I was like, I was in the top runnings for like finishing number one and some, some big successful feat. And like on the last day of the month, I got a bad survey that like dropped me down and just completely wrecked like this huge accomplishment that I was about to make. And my boss was looking at it. He was, well, what, you know, they gave you a bad score. What it was the verbiage. Did they say why they gave you a bad score? And I pulled it up and I shit you not. It was the lyrics to gangster's paradise was I mean, you read word for word, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize, so they, I mean, I had no control. Obviously, that was a kook, you know what I mean? But, and I feel like that's the same thing, that you're at the mercy of like the general public who's liable to say anything. Yes, yes, you are. So there's a, a few ways to mitigate that. Generally, you're not going to get the kooks very often at all. But with the rest of the general public that are, you know, decent human beings, but maybe not the most reasonable people who the Karens of the world, (laughs) as long as you make sure your listing is really, really, really clear about everything, then you're going to generally be okay. There's always going to be a few people that you just cannot make happy, but as long as you're pleasant to deal with and everything is in your listing, like for example, sometimes people will say, oh, you know, we're we've used up the towels. Can you bring us some more? And we're saying, Oh, you know, sorry. In the listing, it says that this is how many towels there are going to be. You know, we don't come in and clean the house in between while you're there. That's actually not allowed with Airbnb anyway. So, you know, there's washer and dryer for you to use that kind of stuff, you know, or you know, what's the Wi-Fi password. You always want to have that in your welcome email, you know, anything that they might be surprised by, like if the road is steep or anything like that, as long as it's, very, very clear and the expectations are set up front, you are going to be able to avoid most ridiculous reviews, but every now and then there's going to be one to pop up, but you get to respond to them publicly. So, and people can tell if you've got a thousand five-star reviews and a few down is something really stupid, they're going to know, they're going to assume that person is being silly. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your other real estate investing endeavors. I don't want to pigeonhole you. I mean, I, I think you're, you know, you probably don't mind being pigeonholed with the short-term shop, but tell us about your long-term rentals. What is your criteria with long-term rentals? Where do you invest for long-term rentals and why? Because obviously the short terms are cash flow and so much nicer. Yeah. Yeah. So it was never necessarily our goal to have just a fleet of short-term rentals and that be it. It's really for the sake of Having a diverse portfolio, you know, long terms are the bread and butter of a lot of things. So it's good for, we like to have a little bit of both or a lot of both. We're, we're built, you know, working on building a very sizable portfolio. All of our long terms, we had, we had two in Nashville, a just 1031 exchange, one of those. And then we're probably going to 1031 exchange the other one in the fall when the lease is up just because they've appreciated so much. And then the rest of our long terms are in Chattanooga and Mobile, Alabama. We are looking to scale that up into, like I said, probably we're looking for a 10 to 20 unit just because we're now that we have the cash coming in to be able to invest in something like that. We're like, well, why are we doing one by one by one when we can just do 20 at once? 
So the goal is, you know, to get a lot of units, have a really big portfolio. And I just kind of call it the short-term rentals to me are like turbochargers in any portfolio. So you don't necessarily need to have a hundred percent of your portfolio be any one thing, just like with stocks, which I don't invest in. I use them as turbochargers. Like, okay, well, I want to buy this apartment building. So how many short-term rentals do I need to be able to generate this amount of a down payment by this date? And I've got enough now that I can do that pretty quickly, but it's just, you know, yeah, a mix. So on the apartment complex that you're looking for, you guys are looking to buy it all by yourself. So you're not, you're not doing the syndication model. You're just looking right. to, okay. Right. We'll do the first one by ourselves just so that we know what we're doing. And then, you know, maybe we'll jump into some bigger projects and do syndication or JV or something like that. But right now we're just only ourselves just to get our feet wet. So where are you looking? We're not being terribly specific or maybe we are. So we're looking in Omaha where Luke, my husband is from because he's super familiar with that area. And then really anywhere in the Southeast, which is where I'm from and I'm familiar with, that's our comfort zone. We were kind of trying to keep it on the Gulf Coast just because that's where we live full time right now. But you know, anywhere, Birmingham, Chattanooga seems to be a little California investored out now. So it's really hard to find anything there, but really Southeast or Omaha. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's targeting the Southeast. Why Mobile, Alabama for your long-term rentals? Because it kind of checked. So we, we bought a bunch in Chattanooga first. And then when we moved, so we, we were living in Nashville and I was just commuting back and forth to the Smokies for my work there. And then when we opened this Florida office and then after coronavirus, so Sirius XM told my husband, you are going to be working from home forever. So we're like, well, why are we living in Nashville? Let's move somewhere better. So, um, we're on 30A in Florida right now. And so we wanted to keep it kind of close. Like we were looking at Pensacola and then Mobile is pretty good. But, you know, really no reason other than, you know, just the same reason everybody's looking in. It seems like everybody's looking at Mobile now, even though I feel like I came up with the idea independently. You know, good jobs. You know, you've got Mobile Bay right there, tons of industry around that. And then the purchase prices are, are pretty good. Awesome. And do you have professional management on all of the long-term rentals? I know you manage the short ones yourself, but what about the long-term? In Chattanooga, yes. Uh, Mobile, we've just got a couple right now, so we're not super attractive to property managers. I've found, I don't know if other people find this, but when we go to start in a new market and we only have a couple of properties, it's really hard to get the good property managers to pay attention to you because you're not really offering them a big portfolio or a whole lot of value. So we just kind of do it ourselves until we get enough to say, please manage this for me, property manager. And if we can find a good one, good ones in Chattanooga were really hard to find, but we finally got one. Absolutely. Good property managers are hard to find everywhere. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so what is next for you guys after you, after you find your apartment complex? Making sure that that works well and that we get our systems around multifamily the way that they need to be. And then another one. I've actually just made an offer on a, uh, a short-term rental that's next door to one of mine in the Smokies. Not because I necessarily needed another short-term rental, but I would just rather own that one than have somebody else's renters next to me. So 
you know, we'll probably keep throwing short, a few short-term rentals in here and there as we're doing the apartment buildings, but that's the main focus for this year. It was the focus for last year, but uh, with all the eviction moratoriums, we thought we'll wait till that's over before we do this. <laughs> Did y'all have any issues with the eviction moratoriums? Only one, and he was a problem tenant before COVID anyway. We didn't choose him. We inherited him with the property. But really just him. One guy out of 32 doors is not not too bad. Yeah, I had one out of 42. And I knew it was going to be a problem. I didn't inherit the tenant. I got the tenant in. And then when I turned all my properties over to property management, my property manager goes, oh, yeah, I know that tenant. I evicted her last year. (laughs) Well, this guy, so we were trying to evict him. Turns out his mom lives in another one of our units, and now he's just moving in with her. (laughs) (laughs) That seems to happen a lot. What advice do you have for anybody out there looking to get started? Just do it. Just pull the trigger. You can analyze yourself to death, and while you're doing that, the prices are doing nothing but going up. I know everybody right now is waiting for things to go back down. I think in some some areas they will, some they won't. I don't think that the big short-term rental, vacation rental markets are, are going to go back down because the appreciation in those areas is 100% driven by investor interest and not just you know the market as a whole. You can wait and wait and wait, and it could go back down at some point or it could never go back down. So the time is now. So you say, you say we a lot when you're talking about your decisions. Is your husband as actively involved in the real estate side as you are? And I just ask because you're always the one on the, the podcast and, and running the show. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, he definitely is. It's something that we've been lucky. We didn't even realize until I pointed this out like two or three weeks ago that it wasn't like one of us had this idea and had to get the other one on board. It was always like, Oh, Hey, yeah, we should try this. We should do this. So I've been really lucky in that regard that nobody's having to convince anybody of anything. I mean, sometimes we're like, Hey, I have this crazy idea about this property or we should try this market. But for the most part, we've been on the same page from day one, which has made things a lot easier. You were very lucky in that regard. We talked to so many investors and it's either the wife pulling the husband or the husband pulling the wife. It was an uphill battle with me and my wife for, for the longest. And still, every time something goes wrong, she goes, Wah. she looks at me like, like <laughs> she was you. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, cool. So I want to hop over to our radio round a little bit just to uh, let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. What's your favorite book? Oh, I have so many. Favorite book right now is Mike McCallick's Clockwork. We are spending a lot of time expanding our systems in real estate investing. I'm also spending a lot of time in expanding my real estate business sales-wise. And uh, that's a really good book about you know streamlining processes. And next on my list that everybody's talking about that is kind of similar is Who Not How. Uh, I got to read that. But um, okay. right now, Clockwork is my favorite. I'm going to check them both out. (laughs) I can't keep up because I ask every week and every week somebody's got a really good book. So now I've, but I can't read that fast. (laughs) I want to read every book that, that I hear about on here, but I'm amassing quite a list on my to-do list. (laughs) What's your favorite quote? Um, My favorite quote is opportunity is missed by most people because it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. 
I think that applies to short-term rentals a lot because people are like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to do all that work of managing it. And it's really, it is work, but it's not that much work. It's easy work. Yeah, absolutely. And what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Hang out with my kids. (laughs) Awesome. You have two kids, you said? I've got two. One is two and one is 14 weeks. (laughs) I'm right there with you. So I have an 18 month old and I have another one that will be born in about 30 days. Oh, yes. The two in diapers, I'm not going to lie. It's tough, but it's it's fun though. Congratulations. Thank you. So can you tell our listeners how to get in touch with you, how to learn more about you? Yeah, yeah. Theshorttermshop.com is where you can find me. Phone number's right there. It's textable. I'm a millennial. I like to text. Don't call me or email me. It works great too. And then Instagram is the social media that I'm most active on. It's at the short term shop. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. I'm sure our listeners are going to love it and and learn something just like I did. And I will definitely be in touch. And I can't wait till the short term shop hooks me up with my first short term rental. Can't wait. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>